Welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so happy you guys are here and we can't wait for you guys to listen to this week's message. Sit back and enjoy. This morning, uh, I'm going to read a passage of scripture. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And this passage of scripture is going to set us on the direction we're going to go this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. If you have the Bible app, you can follow along. If not, it's on the screen behind you. If you're ready, just shout, I'm ready. Verse 25 says, the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God, someone shout, but God. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Anyone believe any of that stuff we just read this morning? I want to share the title of our message this morning. And more than a title, it's kind of a saying. And if you're married, if you have a husband, if you have kids, chances are you've said this before. And it's the title of our message. It's what... Were you thinking? What were you thinking? Uh, for those who are unaware, that was my beautiful wife up here. Anyone see her uh, on the stage beside Taryn? My gosh, she's beautiful. Uh, for those, if you were wondering, like she hasn't just been eating good. Um, she's, <laughs> she's actually pregnant right now, and she's pregnant with twins. Come on, give the Lord. Man, come on. God is good. Amen. And uh, I'll never, I'll never ever for the rest of my life forget the day that we found out that we're having twins. So what we did, we went in for our ultrasound, and uh, it was our second ultrasound. And, and this ultrasound was different than the ones we've been to now. But in this ultrasound, there was the table, and there was the ultrasound technician and the screen. And where I was sitting, I could see the screen, and Christy could not see the screen. Everyone can picture this? <laughs> And so the ultrasound tech, she's going through the thing. She's, she's labeling all these things. If you guys went to an ultrasound, they'll label. They do all these, uh, all these abbreviations. And so I don't really know what she's saying, but all of a sudden I kind of see her, and she's going through this thing, and she writes T-W-N-A. And she kind of moves over, and she writes T-W-N-B. And now when I saw that, like, I didn't understand all the abbreviations, but I have enough education <laughs> that I was like, I think that might be something crazy. I think that might be double trouble. <laughs> but what happens is Christy can't see the screen. So I have this, this moment, this five minutes of my life where I know something that's going to change the history of everything <laughs> that she doesn't know. <laughs> and so these five minutes, I'm just kind of thinking, like, what's, what's going to happen? And so I'll never forget for the rest of my life as well, uh, Christy's face. Uh, so what happens? We had an ultrasound tech, and we've had many since then, and she's not our favorite, uh, mostly because she had very limited emotion. And so she turns the screen towards Christy. Mind you, she has no idea what's happening. And so the lady just goes like this. She goes, here is the first one, and here is the second one. And I remember I looked at Christy in that moment, and we made eye contact, and Christy's face went white as a ghost. And uh, literally, she looked like she was going to pass out. She looked like she was going to cry. And it wasn't because, like, she doesn't really want twins. It's, I know my wife. And if there's one thing that Christy is, she's a planner. Any planners in this room? Yeah. And so, like, she had this whole pregnancy planned out. She's like, yeah, I'm going to work eight months and hit the gym. And I'm going to be squatting until, like, I'm seven months. And so she had this, 
She had the whole plan worked out. And in that moment, everything that she had planned came crashing down. And that's just who she is. She's one of those people Sunday morning when she wakes up, she's already thinking about the week ahead. If there's one thing in my life that I hate doing, I hate thinking ahead. It's just the worst. On Sunday, I'm like, let me sleep and just think of nothing. But she loves to plan. And, and if there's one thing I've seen in our marriage, that is where we're so different. She's a planner. I'm not. And so in that moment when we found out that we we're going to have twins, for me, I'm not a planner. So I'm just like, whatever. <laughs> this is how it's going to be. This is how it's going to roll. If Christy should know one thing from being with me, it's that God always has different plans for us. Come on, somebody. We planted a church. That was... God always has different plans for us, but I'm not really a planner. And so for the most part, though, like her being a planner is probably more beneficial in every other aspect of life. <laughs> like when it comes to planting a church, when it comes to raising our kids eventually, her being a planner is a good thing. But one thing I've realized being married is just we're so different, right? We just, we do things differently. How she handles situations is so different than I handle situations. And one thing I know to be true is that many times I'm sure the way I handle things, Christy would be tempted and led to say, what? Are you thinking? What are you? <laughs> what are you thinking? You see, where I'm going today is I have a belief, and it's this. A lot of times in our lives, God works differently than you and I would work. God works so differently than how you and I work. God sees things differently than how you and I see things in our lives. And really, the reality is throughout history, God has worked in ways that most people would never really expect. Explain that. You see, when Jesus became the Messiah, when Jesus came as king, Jesus did not come with a sword. He came with a cross. It, it was different. That wasn't what the people expected. They didn't think that Jesus would come like that. And so a lot of times what happens in our lives is God will begin to work differently than we expect. And so what happens for so many of us is that when God works differently than how you and I would want him to work, we begin to be frustrated. Anyone been there before? It's like you want God to work things out. You want God to answer your prayer in the way that you have it listed out. But God doesn't often work how we work. It's just different. And so this, this is what leads Paul to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25. He says, the foolishness of God is wiser than human weakness. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. In other words, Paul is saying, hey, you know your best idea you've ever had in your life? That'd be like God's worst idea. And God, like, sometimes God has ideas and, and maybe it doesn't seem like it's that great. God's worst idea, God's foolishness is still better than anything you could ever come up with on your own. Come on, church. And so what happens for a lot of us is that God works differently than we would imagine. And what happens when God works differently is often this point of frustration. Why is there so much pushback in my life? Why are there so many obstacles? But sometimes, I'm going to tell you guys this, I thank God for God's foolishness. Because I remember when God called me, and I wasn't so great. I wasn't so good. I wasn't so refined, but I love God because what we call foolish, God calls chosen. Anyone hear that? What we call foolish, God calls chosen. Paul says the foolishness of, of God is better. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to begin to help us to understand how God works in our lives. And maybe you don't have a long, extensive history in church. That's fine. Because no matter who we are, I believe this to be true, God will still work in your life. And the better that we can understand how God works, especially if you're a Christian, the better that we can understand how God moves in our lives, the less frustration we will have. And I believe if we know how God works, we can actually move from frustration to expectation. Because we know God's about to move. 
And so we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians this morning because Paul's writing to these people. But before we get to the book of 1 Corinthians, I want to give you a little context about the church in which Paul is writing to. If you knew the church, Paul, uh, it was someone in the New Testament. He came after the, after the time of Jesus and he planted churches. He started churches. He was huge in building up the church. And so Paul started a church in Corinth. But before Paul ever started a church in Corinth, I want us to go back to that moment, the moment before the church was started. And so what we need to do is we need to understand the city of Corinth. Now, the city of Corinth was a port city. Can you guys shout port? Port. What that means is that it was literally on uh, the edge of the sea. It was a place where people, when they were traveling by sea, they would stop in Corinth as a port. It was a place for them to to stop, and it was a place for them to kind of re-energize themselves. If you can kind of picture it, it's almost like a truck stop. It's a place to recharge and refuel. And so Corinth was a port city, but because it was a port city, uh, and because there was men there that had been on long voyages, and they'd been in, in boats and ships surrounded by guys for months at a time, Corinth became a place of prostitution because it was just all the things kind of worked together. And so Corinth, more than anything, it became known as a city of vices, a city of prostitution, a city of immorality. That's what Corinth became known. If you, if you want to kind of picture of it, it's almost like Las Vegas. Anyone been to the Vegas Strip before? Yeah. I haven't been since I was 15. What does a 15-year-old do in Vegas? Not much. <laughs> but when I was there, I remember on every single corner without fault, and our good friends Drell and Creature, they can confirm if this is still there. On every single corner, there's people with these like, cards and they're just like prostitutes on them, and they're trying to give you these cards. Are they still there? Yeah. Any of you guys seen those people before? Yeah. And so at the time, I'm like 15. What am I going to do with this? I'm only 15. I'll take three. <laughs> I told you I wasn't so refined when the Lord found me. Come on, somebody. But so I want you to picture it's this place that is immoral. And so what happens in the first century, Paul goes there, this guy named Paul, we're all on the same page, and Paul says, I'm going to go there and I'm going to preach, because Paul was an evangelist, he was a missionary, so he was like, I'm going to go preach in Corinth, I'm going to do my gig, I'm going to come up there, then I'm going to leave, because these people are crazy. Like, I'm not trying to get caught up by a prostitute. But what's so funny is that God had different plans. Acts chapter, 18, Acts chapter 18, verse 9 says this. It says, One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, and he told him, he said, Do not be afraid to speak out. Don't be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack and harm you. Look at this. For many people in this city belong to me. Amen. There was a verb at the time, a Greek verb. It was Corintha zomai, which meant to act like a Corinthian. And so if there were people in your life that were acting a fool, if there were people in your life that were kind of loose, if you know what I'm saying, people would say, you're acting like a Corinthian. I'm just, I'm just trying to paint a picture of this place. It was a bad place. But what God says to Paul, because Paul's like, I'm a preacher and I'm a peace. I'm a preaching peace. God says, there are many people in this city that belong to me. This is still my city. Verse 11, it says, so Paul stayed there for the next year and a half teaching the word of God. It was during this year and a half that the church in Corinth was planted. The church in Corinth was planted in this year and a half by Paul. It's so interesting, that place that is crazy, that place that is filled with people that you probably don't want to associate with, God works there. You see, because God will often work differently than you, how you and I would work. Paul, as a man of God, is thinking to himself, this is no place for a church. 
God's like, nah, these are my people. It's so funny. And so I, 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 was, I was just learning more about Corinth this week, and I began to see God's perspective. You see, what I want us to do is I want us to begin to somehow shift and understand God's perspective. So I began to see how God saw Corinth. You see, when Paul thought of Corinth, he thought port and he thought prostitution. When God saw Corinth, he thought port and he thought to himself, that's position. What that means is there's going to be people that come through here all the time. This is one of the largest cities in the known Greek world. So you better believe I'm not going to abandon it. Because there are people that still belong to me. That's the heart of God. That's the heart of God. And what I want us to understand this morning, listen to this, friends. God will often work differently than you and I. Where we see prostitution, God sees position. That's just how he works. And so here's the point I want us to take home to our lives. How do we begin to live this out? Write this one down if you're taking notes. What we see as opposition, God sees as opportunity. Come on, somebody. I'm not seeing anyone writing this down, taking pictures. You can clap your hands if you do. What we see as opposition, God sees as opportunity. There's God's perspective, then there's Paul's perspective. God sees things differently than you and I see things. Friends, I wonder what our lives could look like if every single time we saw opposition in our lives, instead of complaining, instead of saying, God, where are you? God, why is my life like this? What if we began to say, God, you know what? I think there's an opportunity in this. I think maybe this opposition is here for a reason. Maybe I'm going through this season for a reason. Maybe I'm going through this hardship for a reason. Maybe there's an opportunity within the midst of this opposition. That's what God is trying to get us to do this morning. And so I want to practically help us. How do I begin to do this? Anyone in your life ever been frustrated by where you're at? Come on, make some noise. We've all been frustrated. It's like, God, why isn't things working out? Why don't I have this job? Why don't I have this relationship? Why, 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 why? I want to help us out this morning. It's super simple. In every single situation that comes into our lives, what if we began to look at opposition as opportunity? And so all that we have to do, and it may sound simple and it may sound naive, but what we have to begin to do is we have to flip our perspective. Because so many of us, we're used to being on our plane. We see things from here. But the view right here is a whole lot different than up here. And that's the view that God has. And so what God is saying is, like, why can't you flip your perspective? It's like this. Any of you guys ever get mad in traffic before? Yeah. Come on, like stuck on the hand day at 430? Anyone try to enter St. Albert Trail during rush hour? It's like, kill me. But what if we could begin to flip our perspective? You see, that opposition, which is traffic, which is slowing us down, what if we began to say, hey, maybe there's an opportunity in there? And so next time we're stuck in traffic, we decide to say, you know what? I'm going to listen to a podcast. I'm going to build into myself. Maybe I'm going to call that friend in my life that's struggling with something. And I feel like I don't have any time to call him. Yes, you do. You're on the hen day. You see, if we can begin to flip our perspective, if we can begin to look at opposition as opportunity, our lives will begin to change. That's how God sees things. Every opposition is really just an opportunity. Here's another one. Conflict. Come on, you guys have conflict in your life. I know this. How many of you guys got beef with someone right now? Don't raise your hand. How many of you guys are sitting beside the person you have beef with right now? One of my favorite sayings is this, conflict is an opportunity to glorify God. Why? Because our humanness in conflict says this opposition is my opponent and I need to win. I need to be right. I need to come out on top. But God says, no, no, no. This opposition is not you're an opponent. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for me to be glorified. 
for my light to shine through. God is saying, just flip your perspective. Because here's the thing, friends, in life, you will come up against opposition. It's not about avoiding opposition. It's about flipping our perspective and asking ourselves, how can I turn this opposition into opportunity? We need to flip our perspective. Anyone know what I'm saying? You see, for God, where Paul saw opposition, God saw opportunity. This is Corinth. This is a place of immoral people, sexual just fangs. But God said, what if you began to see things how I see things? There are many people in this city that belong to me. That opposition is actually your opportunity. It's your opportunity to start a church. Friends, I just want to just quickly share the Heart of Kingdom Church. You see, I'm not sure if you guys are aware of this, but in Canada, we live in a post-Christian culture. It's a culture where on the outside, a lot of people are like, man, Canada is just super secular. People are crazy up there. Like, they just do whatever they want. Any you guys ever heard that before? And many people see it as opposition. I should just go start a church in the Bible Belt because it's easier down there. You see what we see as opposition, God sees as an opportunity. And that's the heart behind Kingdom Church. If you're new here, we are a church that exists for people that do not go to church. That's why, that's, in everything we do, in the very fabric of our DNA, we want people who do not know Jesus to come to know him. They're not opposition, they're opportunity. It's just about flipping our perspective. If God could work in Corinth, what can God do in your life? Listen to this, your story right now, you're messed up. I'm looking at you, you're messed up. That messed up person, God has a plan, God has a purpose. And so one day your story of your messed up, your story of your brokenness, someone's going to look back and say, if God can work in Harrison, my Lord, what can he do in me? This guy was looking at cards when he was 15 in Las Vegas. What can he do in my life? That's what God wants us to do. And so Paul now, this is a lot of backdrop, Paul now is writing to this church. This is years later. Paul has planted the church. He was there for a year and a half and he passed it off. But the reason that Paul is writing to this church is because, as you can imagine, a church that was planted in such a culture did not come without problems. I told you the people there are crazy. And so literally, like the people there, like during communion, they were drinking the wine and they just were getting drunk. During communion, you guys are like, why do we drink grape juice now? That is why. Because of the Corinthians. People at that time, they were literally, listen, I'm not joking. You guys think the Bible's boring? No. Come to Kingdom Church, man. People were sleeping with their mother-in-laws, just sick. But they thought it was all good, like, I'm under the grace of Jesus, amen. <laughs> so Paul has to write to these people. And it's so funny, I want us to see Paul's words because they shocked me. This is what he says in verse 18, 1 Corinthians 1. He says, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Yeah. I need to, hold on. To us who are being saved? If I'm Paul, and I'm writing to this church of messed up people, they're getting drunk at communion, they're having sex with everyone, they're having orgies. I'm saying like, yo, you guys are cut off from Christ, you don't get it, you're sick, you're twisted, you're nasty. <laughs> but the first thing Paul says, he says, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are perishing, but to us. Someone say us. us. It's the message and it's the power that saves us. So the first thing Paul is saying is that you need to understand you're not cut off. That, that the grace is still there. Jesus is still there. And it just shocks me because so many of us, we think like, man, like if I just messed up, that's it, that's all. But God's like, no, no, no. 
And this is why the message of the cross is foolish. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are not uh, being saved because they cannot understand a message that is that good. I came here to tell someone, you've been in church your whole life. Guess what? That message about Jesus, it's actually better than anything you've ever heard. And if you think you know it, keep on listening, keep on learning, because it's better. And that's why it's foolish, because those on the outside are saying, you're saying that you can be messed up, you can be broken, and the cross still applies for you. Yes. Yes, you can. That's what Paul's saying. The message of the cross is foolish. It's foolish. Listen to this, friends. Don't be confused. The message of the cross will not keep you where you are. It's not going to keep you there. But the foolishness of the cross says, I'm going to meet you there. The message is, I'm not going to keep you there, but the foolishness is, I'm going to meet you there. I'm going to meet you in Corinth. I'm going to meet you at a brothel. I'm going to meet you in a place that you would never think for me to show up. God shows up. The message of the cross is foolish. The message of the cross is foolish. Now get this, friends. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul continues to write to them. He says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you are wise by human standards. Not many of you are influential. But God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not in order to nullify the things that you are. The things that are. Listen to this, friends. What Paul is saying to these people, he's like, you guys are corrupt. You guys are challenging. You guys are chaotic. You guys are crazy. But guess what? You're still called. You're still chosen. Brothers and sisters, and the reason he's writing this letter, and this is for religious people. If you're someone that has struggled with religiosity, religiosity says it's all about me. It's all about my performance, how I measure up, what I do, how, how well I follow God. The gospel says it's not about you, it's about Jesus. It's about his grace, it's about his goodness. And so what he's saying, he has to remind these people where they came from. He's like, listen to this, guys. Remember, not many of you were that great when we found you. Now look at you now. Look, and I need to speak into this because we live in a culture right now, and this is not even within church, it's outside of church, it's this culture of perfection. Where it says, I need to be perfect. How many guys have Instagram? Come on, somebody. I was at the library this week. Love that place. And uh, there was a girl that walked into the library and she's wearing a sweater. And on the sweater, uh, it was a big YouTube logo. And then under the YouTube logo, she actually had her like, um, her channel. And I was like, that's bold, sister. <laughs> but I looked it up. <laughs> it worked. And so it turns out she's a social media influencer. Anyone know what an influencer is? And, and it's so funny. And I got nothing against social media influencers. If that's your life goal, you do you. But I think that the culture that we live in, and, and I look at these pictures, and I look at these people, it's this culture of perfection, right? We post what is best. We post what is perfect, what is edited, what we look best in. And so these are now the people that we look up to. We look up to people of perfection. We look up to mothers, like, oh, my gosh, look how they raise their kid. I just want to do that. And so this picture is being pushed forward. It's this picture that says it's all about you. It's all about you. But I love what Jesus says. And what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he's saying, get this, God doesn't actually work through perfection, God works through pain. God works through your brokenness. He says, not many of you were great. Not many of you were noble. Not many of you were anything when I found you. But listen, this is the story of Jesus, and this is the story I want you to understand in your life. God will turn your pain into power. 
God will turn your pain into power. If God turns our opposition into opportunity, he's going to turn that pain in your life into power. God is going to use that brokenness. God is going to use those places in your life, those things in your life that you don't want anyone else to know about. God will use them. Where we see opportunity, opposition, God sees opportunity. Where we see pain, God sees power. He says someone's life is going to be changed from this story. Someone's life is going to be changed from your testimony. And so I need to speak to this because we're living in this life where we want to be perfect. I don't want anyone to know my flaws. I don't want anyone to know my brokenness. There's a reason I come up here and I don't pretend to be anything other than I am, which is a broken dude preaching the gospel. It's because God doesn't want our perfection. He actually prefers our pain. And he's going to use it more than he'll ever use your perfection. And that's the message of the gospel. That's the message of the cross. It's better. It's better than you could ever imagine. I read this thing this week. It was an article about the 300 most influential people in the history of the world. It was a study, and in this study, they found one thing to be shocking. The overwhelming majority of the people that have made the greatest impact in this world, the majority of them were orphans. In other words, when they came to power, when they did their thing, they had no parents. The majority of them came from lives of brokenness. In the same article, it was talking about the, 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 six, the top six people that have made a religious and spiritual impact in the 21st century. Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, all these people. And out of all of these people, what they said is only one of them had anything that resembled a middle-class upbringing. In other words, they all came from pain. They all came from brokenness. Listen to this, church. What I'm saying this morning, I'm saying, what if we began to lean into our pain? What if we began to lean into our brokenness? What if that pain in our lives became power. I'm going to invite Noah up here in the band. We're going to close. What could happen? What would our lives begin to look like? It's so funny. Why does God work like this? Remember, this is the question. Why does God work like this? You know why God works through our pain? It's because we don't live in a world of perfection. We live in a world of paradise lost. That's just the reality. And so the reality is that in our lives, pain is going to be all around us. And so we're asking ourselves, God, why do you work like this? God, why are you doing, it's so interesting. I was just dwelling on this this week and I hope this blesses someone. You see, the devil, the Bible says you have an enemy that is a roaring lion, an enemy that is there to seek, to destroy, and to kill. And so if the enemy is there to destroy and to kill and he's there to bring pain into our lives, God, why do you allow pain into our lives? And I began to dwell on it this week because for God, that was his opposition. That's what he had to deal with. He had to deal with a broken world. And God could have sat down, God could have cried like some of us did and give up, but instead God said, you know what, I'm going to use this opposition as an opportunity. And so get this, when the devil thought he had the upper hand, he thought pain was going to win, he thought brokenness was going to win, he thought death was going to win, Jesus said, you're actually falling right into my plan because I'm going to work through this pain. I'm going to work through this brokenness. Listen to this church, if there's someone in this room, you are dealing with pain, you are dealing with brokenness, you're dealing with opposition. You're just on the cusp of a breakthrough. If you feel like God has abandoned you, if you feel like you're Corinth, guess what? My people are still there. My people are still there. Can you guys just stand, church? Paul finishes and he says this in the last verse. He says, Therefore, as it is written, let no one boast. Only those who boast, boast in the Lord. In other words, what he's saying, he's saying it's all about Jesus. It's only been about Jesus. It will always be about Jesus. It's not about you. It's not about your perfection. It's not about what you do. It's about him.
Thanks for listening to this week's message. We hope you can take something and apply it to your week. If you have any questions, visit kingdomchurch.ca. See you next time.